Well, tonight I had a sermon planned for you, and it was a part of youth night service. And uh, then we postponed the youth night service, so I had to figure out what to preach tonight. So this afternoon I've been working on a sermon. Uh, so usually I spend all week doing that, but I spend an afternoon doing that. And again, something that's been on my heart, something that's been on my mind is, again, what's going on in Israel. And I was actually hoping that it would work out on some Sunday night or Sunday morning where I could just talk about Israel and prophecy. Uh, so tonight we're going to do that. Again, that was not my original intention. Uh, I don't think my mic's on. Uh, that was not my original intention uh, going into this evening. Uh, but I figured it would be good. Again, this is going to be more of a, a teaching a Bible study tonight. It's not going to you know, have a, a lot of the alliteration or three points or you know, a lot of the preaching aspects to it. It's going to be more of a Bible study. You know, how the nation of Israel falls into line with biblical prophecy. Uh, I mean, Israel is, is front page news right now, and it is quite often. So, again, it's, it is now, but down through the years, it always, it always has been really front page news. And as students of the Bible, we understand that at the, the, at the nation of Israel is really at the epicenter of God's fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And I want to take a look at at that tonight. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, we pray uh, that you bless the preaching part of the service tonight. God, I know tonight's a little bit different than usual. We're taking a break from the James series uh, just for a little bit, and also uh, we'll come back to the Youth Night series next week. God, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless the preaching of your word. God, I pray you'd help me, Lord, tonight. Help me physically, Lord. I just have clarity in my thoughts and in my words, Father. Uh, Lord, just... uh, uh, to faithfully communicate your word to your people. And God, I pray you speak to hearts today, Lord. I pray you teach us and grow us, Lord, in our understanding of what your word says and in our confidence of your word. Lord, as we see, uh, Lord, your faithfulness to your promises, God. Lord, as we see, Lord, just the fact that, uh, Lord, prophecies that you have made, uh, Lord, come true. Lord, every single time. We looked at that this morning in Sunday school. And we're going to take a look at that tonight again um, in relation to the nation of Israel. God, we love you, we praise you, and God, we thank you for the time you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so tonight I want to deal with the topic of Israel in prophecy. And one of the evidences of the divine inspiration of the Word of God is is prophecy. You know, and prophecy is, is a very large topic. I mean, we could spend a couple of weeks just dealing with prophecy, and we actually dealt with it this morning in Sunday school. Uh, talking about the prophecies that pointed forward to the Messiah uh, by prophets like Isaiah, prophets like Micah, um, who uh, spoke about the Messiah 700 years before he came, and all those prophecies came true 100%. 100% of the time they came true. This morning we talked about the fact that even a, a meteorologist, I mean, they have a hard time getting tomorrow's forecast right. Uh, what if they try to make a prediction 700 years in advance? I mean, they would be way off course, you know, trying to do that. When well, God's word, you know, we do see prophecies that are made literally 700 years in advance, and they come true every single time, every single detail, 100% of the time. And that shows us that God's hand is upon his word. This is the word of God. All right. No mere man could make prophecies like that. And those prophecies come true 100% of the time. But God's word is different because this is not the words of men. This is the word of God. This is the breathed out, the inspired word of God. And as you look at the Bible, you find there's many prophecies, prophecies regarding the Messiah, 
prophecies regarding the rise and fall of nations, prophecies regarding, as we'll see tonight, the nation of Israel. And that's what I want to focus in on tonight. Frederick the Great uh, was an atheist king of Prussia, and he asked one of his ministers, he asked the question, he said, can you give me one single irrefutable proof of God? And the minister replied, yes, your majesty, the Jews, the Jewish people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel is a testament to God, is a testament to the faithfulness of God. Here's a group of people that have been scattered, that have been ostracized from societies, that have been persecuted, that many people have have driven them out of their lanes. There have been many attempts to destroy them. We see that this group of people still exist. You know, other nations come and go. I mean, most nations only last a couple hundred years, and then you know they, they evaporate, and they're, they're conquered, or they, uh, they, they become corrupted from within, and they're destroyed, and they again, other nations come in and conquer them. But you see here, the nation of Israel is different. The nation of Israel goes back to the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all the way back in the book of Genesis. And yet we find that even during times whenever they were scattered, they were persecuted, they were oppressed, that God preserved his, that God preserved his chosen nation, that God preserved this group of people. And even, even on top of that, we see even uh, something else that's amazing is the fact that they retained their cultural distinction as Jews, speaking the Jewish language, you know, and observing certain Jewish traditions. That go back, you know, hundreds, thousands of years even. And as we look at the nation of Israel, it's important for us as we study the word of God to have a right view whenever it comes to the nation of Israel. Because the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, play a central part in the fulfillment of uh, the, the, the prophetic timeline of God's word. Again, like I said earlier, they are at the epicenter of the unfolding of God's redemptive plan. And of the unfolding of end times prophecy. Can keep your eye on Israel as a Bible student. Keep your eye on Jerusalem as a Bible student. Because that is the epicenter of uh, where, where end time events will, will be fulfilled. It's not America. You don't read about America in the end times. There's probably a reason for that. But you do read about Israel. And you read about Russia. And you read about you know uh, Iran, even though it's referred to by, by a different name. And you do read about certain nations, Ethiopia and Libya and other nations, that uh, that will be a, a part of, of end-time events being fulfilled. But Israel, little Israel, you look at Israel on a map, and that plays a central role. That is the epicenter of Bible prophecy. Something I want to talk about tonight as we get started is the danger of replacement theology. The danger of replacement theology. Whenever you study the Word of God, it is vital, it is, it is so important that you make a distinction between Israel and the church. There's a few groups of people in the Bible. There's Israel, there's the Gentiles, and there's the church of God. All right, Israel is not the church, and the church is not Israel. Promises that God made to the nation of Israel are not fulfilled in the church, as many are millennialists. Uh, again, try to do. They, they, they come to these promises in the Old Testament made to a specific group of people, and what do they do? It doesn't fit their theology, all right? So they try to spiritualize them. They try to allegorize these promises that, promises that are made to the nation of Israel. 
That's a terrible way to study the Bible. Again, if we come to the Word of God and we, we, we take the Word of God literally, and we interpret it according to its grammatical historical context, you know, if, if, the, if the plain sense of Scripture makes, uh, makes plain sense, don't seek, no, don't, don't seek any other sense, lest you end up with nonsense. All right, so take what the Word of God says. Again, God has given certain promises to the nation of Israel that he will fulfill. Down through the ages, it was really the, the, the Roman Catholic Church that, uh, that, that came in strong with the doctrine of replacement theology. And again, they, they still do to this day. But it's not only Roman Catholicism, it's also many Protestants. Many Protestants also have bought into the lie of replacement theology. And this one may surprise you. There's even Baptists. You know, there, there's even Baptists who believe in replacement theology. Even independent Baptists who, who hold to replacement theology. The problem with replacement theology is simply the fact that the Bible doesn't teach it. All right? The Bible never teaches that the church replaces Israel or that the promises to Israel are fulfilled in the church or that God is done with the nation of Israel. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Romans 11. Romans chapter number 11. Keep your Bibles handy. We're going to be taking a look at a lot of verses tonight. All right, take a look at verse 25, uh, down to verse number 29. And the Bible says this, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Sion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. I mean, that, that passage right there makes it clear that God is not done with Israel. And yes, Israel is in a state of spiritual blindness. But God makes it clear. And so all Israel shall be saved. It is, it is future tense. One day salvation is coming to Israel. One day they will recognize their Messiah. And we'll come back to that later. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And take a look at verse number 14 through 16. And this is speaking of the children of Israel. Uh, verse number 14, we read this. It says, but their minds, speaking of the children of Israel, you see that in verse 13. But there, the children of Israel, their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. So what it's saying is as unbelieving Jews read the Old Testament, there, there is a veil. There is a covering over their eyes. But notice how the veil is done away in Christ. And if you understand that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus Christ, guess what happens? The blinders are taken off. 
The, the veil is taken away. There is understanding, again, of the things of God. Take a look at verse 15. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, notice what it says here in verse 16. It doesn't say, nevertheless, if it shall turn to the Lord. Rather, it says, when it shall turn to the Lord. Speaking of the fact that there will come a day when the children of Israel will turn to the Lord. The veil will be taken away. Why? Because they will recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And we understand, according to these verses, first of all, the fact that Israel is in a state of spiritual blindness. I mean, many Jewish people are, are atheists. Many Jewish people are agnostics. Many Jewish people are secular Jews in Israel and throughout the world. Again, and that is that is an undeniable fact. Many Jews, again, don't want to, don't want you to talk about Jesus. Or they don't want to hear anything about Jesus. All right, because Jesus to them is an offense. He's a stumbling block. According to them, he is not the Messiah. And we understand, according to Romans 11, that during this age in which we live, this church age, that God is calling out a people for himself. God is calling out a people. God is building his church made up of believing Jews and Gentiles. And the Bible says that God will do this until the fullness of the Gentiles is complete. Schofield refers to this fullness of the Gentiles as the completion of the purposes of God in this age. The outcalling from among the Gentiles of a people for Christ's name. That is what God is doing in the world today. God is building his church. God has temporarily set aside Israel. He has not permanently cast them away. And the day will come when we are out of this world, we are with Christ, and God will turn his attention back to Israel once again. And the day is coming when all Israel shall be saved. And speaking of Israel as a whole nation, the 12 tribes of Israel, again, that doesn't mean every single individual, Jewish individual, will be saved. But again, as a whole, as a nation, they will turn to the Lord. All right, they, they will find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. God's promises to Israel were not revoked when they rejected their Messiah the first time he came. You know, God made unconditional promises to them. God made irrevocable promises to them. God made unchangeable promises to the nation of Israel. He made them to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to the nation of Israel as a whole. And God will fulfill his promises because God is a faithful God. If God promises something, God will fulfill it. So let's consider a couple of things this evening as it comes to Israel's part in the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Take your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy chapter number 28. And the first prophecy I want to take a look at is the dispersion of Israel. The dispersion of Israel. The Bible teaches us that because of Israel's rebellion against God, that God would pluck them out of their land and that God would scatter them amongst the Gentile nations. And God promises that if they persisted in unbelief, if they persisted in sin, which is exactly what they did, God would cast them into uh, out of their land and God would scatter them amongst the nations. Deuteronomy 28. We see a prophecy regarding this uh, before it even happened. God warned them of what would happen if they didn't follow him. 
Uh, take a look at verse number 63. Deuteronomy 28, verse 63. And I'll read down to verse number 67 here. And the Bible says, And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and to multiply you, speaking of the Israelites, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught. And ye shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, even from one end of the earth, even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. But the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart, and a failing of eyes, and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. And thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were even, and at even thou shalt say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of thine heart wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. So we see here, again, you can go back and read the whole chapter, and even go back to chapters before that. Again, God, again, I'll summarize it. God told them, if you obey me, I'll bless you. All right, but if you turn away from me and you turn to idols, I will curse you. And part of that curse involves a scattering of the people throughout the Gentile world. And also, again, we see some other things, too. We see that they would be in fear for their life. Their life shall hang in doubt before them. Look at the persecution of the Jews. They've been driven out of countries time and time again. You think of the Holocaust. You think of different events that have happened down throughout human history. The ostrac- uh, again, how they've been ostracized, how they've been oppressed, how they've been persecuted by, by people groups, uh, by nations of people, by kings, simply because of the fact that they're Jewish. But we see here also the fact that we look at their history and we see that it is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. God is the one who said this would happen. God said they would be scattered. God said their life would hang in the balance. And God is the one who told them if they disobeyed him that this is uh, what would happen. Now, this dispersion, this began with the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, the Babylonian captivity of the southern kingdom of Judah. And it was further fulfilled more completely with the destruction of the second temple uh, by the Romans in AD 70. In the year AD 153, or I'm sorry, 135, uh, there was also a defeat of a Jewish revolt Again, in the raising of Jerusalem. All right, so we find here that over the years, again, the, the Jews have been driven off their land. All right, they have been scattered amongst the nations. And for 1900 years, this is how they've lived they've been scattered, and they've been persecuted, they've been oppressed. Why? Because God promised them that this is what would happen if they disobeyed Him. If they didn't keep his commandments. Yet come back to Deuteronomy and turn to chapter 30. Chapter number 30, take a look at verses 1 through 9. Verses 1 through 9. Give me a second to get there. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning of verse 1. Notice what it says here. It says, and it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse, 
which I have set before thee. And thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee. And shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I commanded thee this day. Thou and thy children, with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity, and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out into the utmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it. And he will do thee good, and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, and the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies, and on them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord, and do all his commandments, which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand, in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy land, for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good, as he rejoiced over thy fathers. So we see here that God promises that, again, God will restore the nation of Israel. But what's the condition? The condition is if they, if they truly turn back to the Lord and they love the Lord, they obey the Lord, they keep the commandments of God. God says, again, I will restore you. I will once again favor you. Again, I will bring you back into the land and I will bless you abundantly. Now, Deuteronomy 28 has already been fulfilled. And you can look throughout human history over the past 1900 years or so, and you see how that has been fulfilled in the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter number 30 is yet to be fulfilled. It is yet to be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled when the nation of Israel repents. Consider what this covenant promises. At verses 1 through 4, we find that God promises that he will gather the scattered Israelites. In verse number 5, we find that God will restore them to the land of their fathers. In verses 5 and 9, we see God will bless them. God will multiply them. In verse 6 and 8, God will regenerate their hearts so they will love and obey God. In verse 7, God will judge the enemies of Israel and she will no longer be persecuted. So has this promise been fulfilled? And has this promise been fulfilled or has this promise yet to be fulfilled? Again, from my understanding, I would say this is yet to be fulfilled. Consider a couple of things. First, first of all, consider the fact that Israel has not been gathered from all nations. Now, some have. Again, many Jews have returned to the homeland, but there's still many, there's still many Jews that are scattered throughout the world. Right? There, there's still many Jews that don't live in the land of their fathers. There's so many that are scattered abroad. Secondly, again, in their current state, again, Israel, again, does not love the God of the Bible, the true God. Most Jews are secular Jews. They don't believe in the God of the Bible. They don't recognize Christ as their Messiah. They don't love God with all their heart. Number three, Israel does not obey all of God's commandments. All right, again, the Bible says, Thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command thee, this day. So again, looking at those looking at those things, we understand that this is yet to be fulfilled. This has not been fulfilled in the nation of Israel yet. Therefore, it will be fulfilled in the future. And the Bible teaches us that this will be fulfilled 
again in the Great Tribulation, going into the Millennial Kingdom. Take your Bibles and turn to a, again, a book of the Bible you might have to search a little bit for, the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter number 3 is one of the minor prophets. If you want to find Daniel, Daniel's an easier book to find than it's just the next book over. If you're in the New Testament, you're too far. Hosea chapter number 3, verses 4 through 5, we find here a summation of what we just read in Deuteronomy 28 and Deuteronomy 30. Uh, Hosea chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, we see a summation of Israel's judgment and Israel's restoration. So take a look at the verses here. The Bible says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Now, what is this referring to? This is referring to the fact that Israel shall, uh, again, they shall abide many days. All right, So for a long period of time without a king and without the temple. All right, Again, they, they won't have that king until they recognize who their king is. And that is the king of kings. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that temple will be rebuilt one day. Take a look at verse five. So again, they shall abide in the state of, of spiritual again of spiritual destitution. Take a look at verse five. It says, "Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and His goodness." In notice here the latter days. So the time will come in the latter days when they will seek the Lord. They will turn back to the Lord. And they will serve Christ, the one who sets upon the throne of David. Uh, turn to another, uh, just a couple, Hosea, Joel, and then Amos. All right, so turn over to Amos chapter number 9. Amos chapter number 9. And take a look at verses 8 through 15. Verses 8 through 15. We, we have another... A summation of the fact that Israel will be judged for her sins, but God will restore Israel. God has a future uh, for his people. Amos chapter 9. Uh, take a look at verse number 8. The Bible says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, speaking of Israel, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For lo, I will command... And I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a seed. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say that evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. All right, so we see, first of all, judgment for their sin. God will scatter them. Or the word in here, God will sift them among all nations. All right, so again, we see that in the scattering of Israel... Uh, the dispersion of Israel. But notice, God is not done with Israel. Take a look at verse 11. The Bible says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and of all the heathen, which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed, 
and the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit thereof. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. All right, so Israel will be sifted among all nations, yet according to verse 11, the tabernacle of David will be raised up, it will be rebuilt again. Again, we understand, again, understanding this with the New Testament, we understand that that will happen, that will be fulfilled in the future. That will be fulfilled in the, in, in the messianic millennial reign of Jesus Christ, where Jesus fulfills the promises to David and Jesus sets upon the throne of David. We also see here in verses 13 through 15 that God will bless the land of Israel. God will give them abundance, again, abundance in their crops, again, abundance in their fruit. God will plant them so they cannot be plucked up anymore. So we see here Israel's dispersion. But we also see Israel's regathering. Take your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. Israel will be dispersed, but Israel will also be regathered. We find a prophecy that God gave to uh, the prophet Ezekiel. The vision of dry bones that is given here. And we see here that this, this passage, this vision is regarding the nation of Israel, the house of Israel. And it's regarding the regathering, the restoration of, of Israel. And the Bible reveals to us here that the restoration of Israel will happen in two parts. It is a two-part restoration, which is essential to understand when considering where Israel is today and what God will do with Israel in the future. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The Bible says the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, if these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then said he unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, we are cut off for our parts. 
Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and will bring you into the land of Israel. Now, again, if you read that the first time, you may wonder what in the world is going on. All right. Ezekiel is called to go out to a valley full of dry bones. He is told to prophesy into the bones, calling the bones to live. Again, the, the bones again uh, come together. Again, flesh comes over the bones, uh, but the bones remain lifeless. No breath in them. And then he prophesies again for breath to enter into them. Again, the breath enters into them. They are revived. They are made alive. And again, there is this exceeding great army. And God tells Ezekiel, again, what I am showing you here is a picture of the nation of Israel, the whole house of Israel. And we find here that as we understand this in this context, we understand that God is showing us here that the restoration of Israel is a two-part restoration. The first part of the restoration of Israel is a physical restoration. It is a restoration to their land. It is a restoration as a nation-state. We see in Ezekiel 37, 8, we, we see this reference here in this vision that is given. And, and when I beheld, though the sinews and the flesh came up upon them and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. That is a description of the modern state of Israel. That is a description of where Israel is today. In 1948, we know Israel became a nation state once again. We know many Jews have returned to their homeland through the years. But we also understand that although, again, they, they, they have been physically restored, and, and, and you look at the sliver that Israel is, I mean, actually, the, the promised land is much greater than that. But you do see that they are a nation state once again. You do see part of the physical restoration that has been fulfilled. But also, again, they are like these people here. Again, they, 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 have, they have bones and they have flesh and they have skin, but they're dead. They have no breath in them. Speaking of the fact that they're spiritually lifeless, they're spiritually dead. Their bodies, yes, again, they're, they're physically restored, but they are spiritually dead. And Israel has been gathered in unbelief physically in preparation for what is coming. In preparation for the judgment of the great tribulation that is soon to come. But as you look at the modern nation state of Israel, you see that even in its state of spiritual blindness, that God's hand is upon the nation of Israel. You see many, many of the wars that happened, the war for independence, the, the, the Six-Day War in, in, in uh, 1967, the War of Independence 1948, the Yom Kippur War in 1973, how God uh, preserved and defended this little nation against other, other big nations that were coming against the nation of Israel. Why? Because God has his hand upon the nation of Israel. Even as they are in a spiritually dead state, again, God is preserving his people. And we'll get back to the second part of the restoration. So we understand there's, there's, a, there's a physical restoration that occurs, a physical regathering that occurs, but most Jews are secular Jews. Right, most Jews today are secular Jews. Again, they, they, they don't want to hear the word of God. They, they definitely reject that Jesus is their Messiah. But the day will come when they will also, again, breath will be breathed into those, into those lifeless bodies. Again, and they will be made to come alive. Again, and they will be given spiritual life. We'll get back to that later. Let's consider another thing here, and that is Israel's deception. Israel's deception. The next big event 
on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. And although you won't find that word specifically in the Bible, you find the concept of it. Christ is coming back for his church before he comes back with his church after the tribulation. He comes back for his church. We meet him in the air as the trumpet of God sounds, the Bible teaches us. And we are gathered with Christ as the church, as the bride of Christ. Later on, after the tribulation, Christ is coming back with his saints when he's going to establish his kingdom upon this earth. So, So the church will be caught up. The restrainer will be removed. All right, we'll be out of here. We'll be gone, again, as believers in Jesus Christ. But the nation of Israel in her current apostate state, again, in her state of unbelief, she will go right into the Great Tribulation. And the nation of Israel, again, they will endure this Great Tribulation, this seven-year period. And the Bible teaches us that during this period, they will be deceived by the Antichrist. They will be deceived by the Antichrist. Take your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 9. The Antichrist will come on the scene, and he'll make a grand entrance, and he will make a seven-year covenant, a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. So he'll come in as a peacemaker. He'll come in as, as a hero. All right? But again, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens if he keeps that. Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 through 27. The Bible says here, Daniel 9, verse 26, And after three score and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince, that shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the ablation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined uh, shall be poured upon the desolate. So we have here a reference to the nation of Israel, or to, uh, I should say, to the Antichrist, and the fact that he will come on the scene, and he will make this covenant with the nation of Israel. Uh, take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, we find here that although the Antichrist comes on the scene, he makes this peace treaty with the nation of Israel, comes in as a peacemaker, comes in as a hero, that in the midst of the seven years, he breaks the covenant. He breaks the peace treaty, he turns on the Jews, he turns on Israel, and he persecutes the Jewish people. Revelation chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. There's a lot of typology that is used here. And the Bible says in verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman, that's speaking of Israel, which brought forth the man-child, that's speaking of Christ, who came out of Israel, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
So we see here, again, the woman here represents the nation of Israel. It is the woman that this man child, that the Christ child would come from, and that he did come from. And we see here that the serpent, we see here that the dragon is, is wroth with the woman, again, is going to war with the remnant of, of the woman's seed. He is trying to swallow up the woman. He is trying to destroy the woman. Speaking of the fact that he, that he breaks his covenant, he breaks his treaty, and now instead of a peacemaker, now he is a persecutor. His true colors show he was never a peaceful man in the first place. He offered a false peace, but he really had come to deceive and to persecute. Again, we understand that today many Jews are looking for a Messiah. They rejected their Messiah the first time that he came, but they're still looking for a Messiah. I, I saw a news article the other day that, again, they, they, they think that they found their Messiah. There, there's some guy in Israel that they think is the current Messiah. Again, that's happened. This isn't the first time this has happened. There's been many, uh, again, people that they thought were the Messiah. And maybe this man right here will be the Messiah. And we're in, we're in turmoil. You know, we're troubled. We need somebody to come into our situation and to bring peace to our situation. We need somebody to solve our troubles for us. We need somebody to rebuild the temple. Yet sadly, again, many Jews will be deceived by the Antichrist and will see him as the Messiah. They will think the Antichrist is the Messiah because he will come as a peacemaker. They're looking for peace. They're looking for political peace. They're looking for somebody who will support them in rebuilding the temple. Again, that's exactly what the Antichrist will do. He'll come, he'll come in the scene. He'll come on the scene. He'll be a peacemaker. He'll make a way for them to rebuild the temple in spite of Muslim opposition. He'll offer them a peace, but we understand that it is a false peace. It's not a peace that he will keep. The Antichrist will be accepted by them as their long-awaited Messiah. The Antichrist will stand in the holy place, according to Matthew 24, 15, which, which shows us uh, that the third temple will be rebuilt. There's actually preparations already, you know, for the rebuilding of, uh, of the third temple. The Antichrist within the temple will proclaim himself to be God. He will set up an idolatrous image within the Jewish temple to be worshipped. Second Thessalonians, if you want to turn there, chapter number 2. The Antichrist is a deceiver. He's under the control of Satan. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 4. And the Bible here is speaking, uh, again, you can see it in the verse before this, the man of sin, the son of perdition, uh, the Antichrist, as he's also called, verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, he as God setteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. All right, so he sets, up, he sets up himself to be worshipped. And he places himself in a position as if he is God. And he demands the worship of the people into himself. And the sad thing is that Israel will be deceived. And the Jews will be deceived. And many of them will believe that this is the long-awaited Messiah. This is the one who can bring peace to our conflict. This is the one who can bring peace and solutions to the troubles we are in. I mean, can't you see how, I'm not, again, I'm not saying anything about 
you know, again, the current war, again, we don't know how that's going to end. It could be a war that, you know, arises and then goes away like other wars. Or, uh, again, you, you never know, again, what could happen. Only God knows. At the same time, you could easily see how that, again, there could be a conflict, an international conflict. Again, nations coming against Israel. Some peacemaker comes in. He promises peace. He's, he's, he's charming. He, he's, he's a problem solver. He's a peacemaker. He's persuasive. And he comes in. Again, he sets himself up as some hero who's going to fix the problems for the Jews. They bow before him as if he is the Messiah. And guess what he does? He makes a, he makes a covenant of peace with them. He promises to rebuild the temple. And then all of a sudden he turns on them and he persecutes them. And his true colors are revealed. And Israel will be deceived. But for a time. Let's continue on though to our next point, and that is Israel's conversion. Israel's conversion. Go back to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. Come back to the vision that was given uh, to the prophet Ezekiel. And we read here that the restoration of of Israel is a two-part restoration. They are restored physically, in which they're already physically restored. But there's a second part to the restoration that has yet to happen. And that is a spiritual restoration. Uh, Take a look at verse number 9. And we'll read these verses again. All right, verse 9, the Bible says, Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet as, ex- as an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. So Israel will be deceived. They will accept the Antichrist as uh, the promised Messiah. They will enter into Daniel's 70th week, the Great Tribulation, the seven-year period. And it will be during that period that there will be a spiritual awakening. There will be a spiritual conversion of the nation of Israel. Turn to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. We see here how all the Bible fits together, you know, both Old and and New Testament. Zechariah chapter 12, verse number 10. Uh, Zechariah 12, and we'll actually begin in verse number 9. If you can't find it, go to uh, Matthew, back to Malachi, back to Zechariah. All right, Zechariah 12, verse 9. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. All right, jump over to Zechariah 13. So we see here that the day is coming, and this hasn't happened yet, and this will be in the tribulation, when there will be a spiritual awakening. 
The Jews will awaken to the fact that Jesus is their Messiah. He is the one whom they pierced. And they will mourn. Okay, they, 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 will, they will mourn before him. Zechariah 13. Take a look at verse number 8 through 9. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts thereof are therein shall be cut off and die. But the third shall be left therein. So one third. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. So we see here not all of them will be converted, but a third of them will be converted. All right, so some of them will still remain in unbelief. But again, you see a, a remnant of the Jews who will awaken to the fact that Christ is their Messiah. And the Bible says God will bring them through the fire. God will refine them. God will try them. They shall call upon the name of God. God will hear them. Uh, they, they will say, the Lord is my God. And we see here, this is the second part of the restoration. This is the second part of Israel's regathering. This time, they regather in, in faith. In faith in their Messiah. In faith in the fact that Jesus is the one who has come to save them. They respond in faith in preparation for the blessing, specifically the blessing that will be poured out upon them in the millennial reign of Christ. Turn to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. We understand that this conversion will take place near the end, the latter end of the Great Tribulation. And the Bible speaks here in Jeremiah 31 of this spiritual renewal and return to the Lord. Jeremiah 31. And take a look at verse 31 down to verse 34. The Bible speaking here of this restoration, this, this spiritual restoration of the Jews that is yet to come, but is coming. Verse 31 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Uh, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them uh, out of the land of Egypt, or I'm sorry, took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and I and, and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no man every and, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them and to the greatest of them saith the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more Let's continue on. One last thing I want to take a look at, and that is Israel's blessing. Israel's blessing. Turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Again, there's a lot of details in Revelation. We're obviously skipping over uh, for sake of time. Uh, but you come to the end of the book of Revelation, you have what is called, often referred to as the Battle of Armageddon. The nations are gathered together. The nations are coming together to exterminate uh, the, the Israel, to exterminate uh, the remnant of Jews. And Jesus returns to earth to deliver this, this Jewish remnant that have believed upon him. Uh, Revelation 19, take a look at verse 11. Uh, down to verse 19. 
The Bible says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Again, we are the church as part of these armies coming. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that, is, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, and gather yourselves together unto the, great, unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that set on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, small and great. And I saw the beasts, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, and against his army." And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So we see here that Jesus returns. Again, he, he defeats, just with the sight of his glory, he, he defeats the Gentile uh, powers. In the armies of the world that had come against Christ, that had come against the believing Jewish remnant. And Jesus comes and he establishes, again, puts down his enemies and he establishes his rule and his reign and his kingdom. And from here, again, it, it leads into the fact that Jesus establishes what is often referred to as the millennial reign of Christ. Where Jesus literally rules and reigns from his seat in Jerusalem. That Jesus sets upon the throne of David, and he fulfills his promises that he made to the nation of Israel. Let me share a couple of verses with you. In the millennium, I turn to Isaiah 61. We see that in the millennium, uh, the nation of Israel will be exalted. Isaiah 61. You can just listen as I read these verses, verses 5 through 6. Uh, the Bible says, And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. Zephaniah 3. Zephaniah 3, verse number 20. We see a prophecy regarding the Israelites. Let me get to this one. It's a small book, so I should have marked it. Zephaniah, if you want to find it, go ahead. All right, I found it. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 20. The Bible says this. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth. When I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. So we see here, Israel will, be pray, will bring praise to God. 
Israel will worship the Lord, and all nations will come and worship the Lord. Satan will be bound for a thousand years, and Christ will rule and he will reign in righteousness. And Christ will fulfill literal promises. Again, there has to be a there has to be a physical literal millennium in order for Christ to fulfill specific literal promises that He made to the nation of Israel. You can't spiritualize it. You can't allegorize it. You can't say it belongs to the church now. No, again, those, those are literal promises. And again, there's many we could look at. We're not going to take a look at tonight, but many specific literal promises God made to Israel that will be fulfilled that haven't been fulfilled. And that will be fulfilled in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. All right, so God is not done with the nation of Israel. One final passage. Ezekiel 36, if you would want to turn there with me. Ezekiel 36. This will be our closing passage tonight. Ezekiel 36, take a look at verse 16. Down to verse number 38. And listen as I read here. The Bible says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land, and for their idols or what they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries. According to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. And when they entered into the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, These are the people of the Lord, and are gone forth out of his land. Uh, take a look at verse 21. But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you an heart of flesh. Verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments to do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And ye shall be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. And I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon it. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field that ye receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. And we see here that God says, again, yes, you will be scattered for your sins. You will be judged for your sins. Why? Because you profaned my name. God's name was at stake. Israel was to be a testimony amongst the nations, amongst the Gentiles. But she didn't do her job. She was not a faithful testimony. She did not represent the name of God, of Jehovah God, very well. Rather, she profaned the name of the Lord. All right, she dragged the name of God through the mud. And God says, again, I will, I will scatter you because of that, but also I will, I will bring you back together for my name's sake. Ultimately, for my glory. 
And God promised not only to scatter, but to receive his people. And you look at the nation of Israel, where they've, where they've come from, where they are today, and where they will be in the future. And again, you see here that it is truly a miracle of God. You see here that this is truly the hand of God upon, again, a, a group of people. That again, if, if it hadn't been for God, again, using and, and choosing this group of people, they would have been just another insignificant, you know, tribal group of people in, in, uh, over in the Middle East thousands of years ago. But we see here that God, again, has his hand upon these people. Again, God has his preserving power upon the Jewish people. God is a faithful God. God is faithful to his promises that he made to Israel, which reminds us that he will also be faithful to us. God is calling out a people for his name in this church age. You know, again, we, we understand that the next event for us is, 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 is the catching away of the saints of God uh, to be with Christ, to meet him in the clouds and to be with him forever. But we also recognize the importance of, of being faithful. You know, we don't want to profane the name of God. The Bible tells us, again, I'm not going to go back and read it, but in Romans 11, you know, the, the, the Jews are, are the natural branches. We're, we're a wild uh, branch that has been grafted in. The Bible says, don't be high-minded. You see what God did to them. They're the natural branches. You're just grafted in branches as Gentiles. Again, don't be high-minded. Don't be proud. Fear God, all right? Be humble before the Lord. Recognize your position. Again, and also we see here, again, a reminder, uh, you know, to be a witness and to be a light. You know, praying for the salvation of the Jewish people and praying that God, that, that they would turn and, and uh, see that Christ is their Messiah. Their Messiah is not yet to come. And sadly, many will be deceived and, and see the Antichrist as their Messiah. But again, many, again, if we go out and we give them the gospel, have the chance to uh, see that it's clear from Scripture that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who was prophesied. Jesus is the one who has come. Jesus is the one who will come again. I was going to close with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord. And God, we just want to thank you and praise you for the time you've given us. God, we just thank you for the truth we have seen. Lord, in your word tonight, Lord, not a necessarily a message that I uh, had planned for tonight, but... Uh, Lord, just uh, something that I've wanted to touch on uh, just with what's going on in the Middle East right now. I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be fitting. I just uh, remind ourselves, Lord, of, of who Israel is and who the Jewish people are, Lord. I pray, God, that we would pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God, I pray that we would pray that many uh, would come to know Christ, Lord, through this conflict. Many would consider their mortality and recognize, Lord, that there is an eternity awaiting them. And, Lord, that Christ is their only hope. And Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you, God, for uh, Lord, just uh, the faithfulness that is seen in the life of the Israelites, but also uh, the faithfulness, Lord, that we see within our own lives as well, God. God, I pray that as Gentiles, Gentile believers, I pray that we would not be high-minded and think that we're uh, something special, but I pray that we'd be humble and that we would uh, serve the Lord, uh, Lord, just in, in reverence and fear. And I pray this in Jesus' name.